Hello, welcome, and would you look at this mess. I'm your host, Kate, and the purpose of this podcast is to trace, explore, and celebrate the unconventionality that lives within all of us. Hey, hi, welcome back. Couple housekeeping things to go over before I fully dive into this episode. First of all, for the handful of you that actually listen to this podcast on a regular basis, I apologize because I missed a week. Inexplicably, <laughs> without explanation, I just didn't have it together last week, so I skipped it. Um, the biggest thing is that before I launched the podcast, I had batch recorded a bunch of episodes so that I could just release them on the Mondays. Um, and I've now worked through all of those. So I'm figuring out how I'm going to still be able to record each week. And fortunately, we're coming up to the holidays now. So I'm really going to try and get some time carved out to do a few more batched episodes so that I can have some things on reserve for the weeks that I can't record anyway. So basically all of this to say, I'm going to try and not let that happen again. But, you know, again, learning as I go here, uh, just figuring it all out. So apologies if you were looking forward to an episode last week and there was nothing. Um, Secondly, I was going to announce a giveaway winner today, but nobody entered. (laughs) So that's fine. I realize that this podcast is still in early days and there isn't much of an audience yet. So that's all good. Um, I will hold that in my back pocket for future holidays or other times when I feel like it's appropriate to do a giveaway and we'll try again then. So anyway, um, let's like get into it. Okay. So today I wanted to talk about parenting generally and specifically about the approach that I take to parenting in my overall philosophy and, and and again, specifically dealing with like emotional stuff with my kids. So I'm going to start by saying that when my daughter, when Emmeline was, was pretty young, kind of early toddler, I think, um, I was introduced to a particular style of parenting called RIE, R-I-E, and that stands for Resources for Infant Educators. And the main proponent of this particular style of parenting is Janet Lansbury, and I follow her on most of my social media platforms. Um, She has a wonderful podcast, and I believe, I think it used to be called Unruffled, and it may have recently changed names to Respectful Parenting, but I think if you search either of those in the Google, um, it will bring it up for you. And she's written a couple of books. I own one of them uh, called No Bad Kids, Toddler Discipline Without Shame. She has another book. can't remember the title of it right now, but I will include it in the show notes. Um, Anyway, she is a wonderful woman. And I honestly, out of anything, I think I recommend her, um, her podcast because she just has this voice that it feels like what I describe it as, as it feels like a hug for your ears. She's just so calm and patient and, and just delightful. So, and she imparts all kinds of wisdom through the podcast as well. So if you're, you know, not sure what you want to commit to, the podcast is a, is a good one. Um, anyway, so the basis for this particular, uh, 
philosophy is really that children and infants are whole people and we should treat them as such. So you are treating your children with the respect that a whole, complete individual person should get and not patronizing them and treating them like they're, I don't know, invalids, I guess. So um, this kind of, there's a lot of implications with this kind of stuff. And I will say from my own personal experience, implementing this kind of parenting, it is very challenging because we're given certain things from our parents, from the way that we were raised. And a lot of this philosophy sort of goes against those traditional mindsets about raising children. So, you know, the, the sort of, you know, discipline in general, being physically di- disciplining your children, we kind of know now based on long long longitudinal research that it's purely detrimental. There's no benefit to that. So um, that's a big part. But but even uh, to the extent that like there's emotional stuff too that kind of goes along with how we often approach children and approach disciplining them and recognizing their feelings and um, suppressing and encouraging them to suppress their feelings. So instead of um, your, when your children gets upset about something, instead of saying, oh, shh, it's okay, don't cry, you don't need to cry about it, blah, 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 um, just recognizing that they, they have those feelings and you're saying, yeah, you seem really upset right now. Oh, I totally understand that would be upsetting for you. And so recognizing um, that they are complete people, that they're entitled to have feelings, that, that you know, it, it's, it's okay for them to feel that way um, and not, not getting too invested in their feelings yourself as a parent. And so one thing that I have found helpful, and I've shared with some people um, who have also sort of said that's a a good way to to look at it, is it sort of a visualization of what your role is as the parent in the dynamics with children, in particular where it concerns big heightened emotion, negative feelings, and that sort of thing. So Um, Okay, so let's go through it. All right, I am going to describe it, (laughs) and um, you just have to kind of sit there and and try to visualize this in your mind. Okay, so your child is a ship on rocky waters. Storm's coming in. The ship is is out um, in the harbor, out to sea, um, far close enough to shore that you can still kind of see them, but they're they're drifting. And they want to come back. They're trying to get back, but these stormy waters are just pulling them out. And so you as the parent, you have a choice to do, to be one of two things. And you can choose to hop into the lifeboat um, that's on shore, into the rowboat, and try to row out there and save them and figure out a way to pull them back into shore. Um, the problem, of course, inherently with that is that if they're a ship and they're on rough waters and they're experiencing turbulence and they can't gain control, then your attempt to, to, to help them in that way by being in a, in a meager lifeboat is really not going to amount to much. And so you're basically just going to get swallowed up in those waves just the same as they are. And now you're also into these rough waters without a way out. 
So the other option, the other thing that you could be for your child in that moment is the lighthouse. The lighthouse is steady. It's on the shore, so it's not getting swept away and swept into all of the rough water. It's being perhaps experiencing some of the battering of the storm, but it's steady and it's calm and it's it's um, enduring. It endures. So the light's just always going to be there. And that's the thing that's going to help give them the security to know that the shore is there. It's in sight. They have the power to get themselves back to shore, to you as the lighthouse. And it doesn't mean that you have to literally be a statue or be um, uh, non-emotive, but it just means that you are not personally going to become involved in the feelings of your child in that moment. You are not going to take on the responsibility of correcting the course and and curing your child of those feelings. You are empowering your child to use the devices that they have available to them. And sometimes it is literally just waiting out the storm. It's just letting them be in that space, in that storm, and feel those rough waters and waiting for it to calm down before they're able to successfully find their way back to shore. So you don't have to be the one to try to get them there because ultimately it is very unlikely that you are going to be successful in your attempt to bring them back to shore by being an active participant in that scenario. It's more likely that if you take on the persona of the steady, calm, enduring lighthouse that your child will find their way back to you in their time and in their way. And then they're going to have gained a skill of learning how to navigate their own emotions and their own feelings in order to return to a place of a balanced emotional state. And so this is really challenging, okay? So it's not an easy thing to do to make this decision, particularly, again, because as we've, a lot of us, most of us have grown up, that was never something that our parents did for us. Our parents would either, they, they, would, they would try to be the lifeboat, but it, it didn't necessarily always take the same form. So your parents might have said to you, oh, be quiet, there's nothing to cry about. Or they might have said, oh, what's the matter? What can I do to help you make it better? Or, you know, those kinds of things where like they were actively trying to m- make the feelings pass more quickly. And particularly when it comes to like negative anger emotions and that sort of thing, a lot of children just won't respond well to their parents um, being active in that sense. So a lot of times parents will get angry at their children for being angry. (laughs) And it sounds kind of absurd when you say it out loud, but it is what happens. And so children learn to not feel those things or to suppress those feelings or that that it's a bad thing to feel this way. Um, And so we end up, like, like, again, many of us have as adults now, we end up with this inability to feel our emotions and our feelings, work through them and move past them and we get stuck in them. And so we're kind of passing that on to our kids when we make the choice 
to not to be active in in dealing with their emotions. And so again, it's very challenging to see this, to know this, to take this in and be different and to act in a way that is different than what you would instinctually do. I know this from lots of personal experience and I'm going to say, you know, I I use this visualization myself, but I am far from perfect. There are lots of times when especially when when I'm at a particular time of the month, um I just I can't do it. It becomes so challenging to to be in that side of my brain where I'm like it's okay. I don't have to get invested in their feelings. I don't have to be the one to help them work through that. I can be over here, recognize, yes, you are so upset right now. You seem really frustrated and angry or you're really grumpy right now. Why don't you tell me how you feel? Can you tell me how you feel? I think you feel this way. Is that accurate? You can take on that role which absolves you from having to fix it. And it helps you sort of maintain a certain level of calm because it is very hard to hear a child screaming, whining, crying, all that stuff. And that's where all these these coping mechanisms that we've learned come into play because we just want to make it end. We want to make it stop. But it's counterintuitive to try to be involved in the stopping of those feelings and those those um, expressions of feelings. And so again, this is my personal experience. I've been doing this for a few years now, and I can honestly say that it makes such a difference. I mean, I won't necessarily let my kids be running around throwing and breaking things. Like they can, to a certain extent, I'm, I'm going to give them the space to express their feelings if it's anger and they need to hit a pillow or they need to scream and kind of let that energy out of their mouth or whatever, if it's a safe and acceptable place to do that, then then that's what I, I can encourage them to do that. There are, again, so just alluding to the fact that there are boundaries here, there are places and spaces where it is just not going to be acceptable and we're going to have to like leave the space or find another way to channel it. And I am working with Emmeline right now um, on a on a issue that we're having where, and it didn't occur to me until it has started happening, happening socially, but she has this thing where she gets um, super emotional about something and she's very sensitive. So she'll say something in a concrete way in the moment. So she'll say, you're never going to be my friend or I never want to be your child or something like that. And she uses this very concrete term, never. And, uh, and so I've always responded to it in a way that I'm like, yeah, you feel like that right now. Yeah, that's a big feeling. You feel like you're never going to be this person's friend or you're, you never want me to be your child. And that's how I've kind of approached it. But it started happening where she'll say it to her peers and her friends. And some of her friends are very sensitive. And so she, she said this to a friend um, recently, and the friend was really, really upset about it, and understandably so. 
This is another child who is her age who just does not understand that she's having a feeling in a particular moment that's going to pass, but she's expressing it this way. And so her and I have been working together a little bit on finding ways to express her feelings that in those moments without using that kind of language that can be hurtful to other people because I know that she doesn't mean it, but very few others are going to understand that. So I've started to try to prompt her to say, mm, yeah, maybe we should try to think about using a word other than never. Maybe we should think about identifying how you're feeling and just saying, I feel, and then insert the feeling, I feel angry or I feel grumpy or frustrated or whatever, so that she's at least able to assert herself but she's not doing it in a way that it's going to hurt somebody else's feelings because that is also a fine line. Um, I was thinking about this yesterday even about um, she's a girl and she's very, very sweet. She's so sweet. She has this dainty little voice and she's so, again, sensitive, empathetic, thoughtful. She's just a very kind and caring kind of person, but she's also five And so she has a very full range of emotions that she feels. And sometimes I find what happens with little girls like her um, is that there becomes this expectation on them to never have what I would call ugly emotions, to never be grumpy and have feelings about things that are negative because she, it's, it's sort of, it is atypical for her and it seems out of character when it happens, especially with other people who don't, aren't privy to those kinds of emotions on a regular basis. So I was thinking about this last night, we were doing something and she was having some, you know, uh, negative feelings about what we were doing and what was going on. And, um, and it sort of hit me that like, I, I want her to know that she has every right to express her feelings. She has every right to own those feelings for as long as she feels them and move past them at her own pace. Um, because it would be very easy to start sending her the message that like, you know, you should be a nice little girl. That's not a very nice thing to say. You should be nicer. And, you know, like that messaging that, again, a lot of little girls will get because having those big, strong, ugly emotions doesn't really fit their character. And so they start to internalize the fact that they're supposed to be nice and supposed to be docile and not overly emotive in that way. Um, So that's something that I'm also kind of trying to navigate with her because I don't want her to feel stunted from from emotions that are healthy, but not um, overly accepted by a lot of people or emotions that are are more difficult for people to absorb and accept from a sweet little girl. (laughs) Um, Anyway, so... Um, but so this, this particular style of parenting is, it's, it's wholesome in the sense that it applies to everything. And so I, I use this in all of our interactions as much as I possibly can. So if the three-year-old is upset because, I don't know, because we ran out of some food that he likes, this is a common theme, (laughs) 
<laughs> he really likes something and so he eats all of it and now we don't have any left and that's really hard for him and developmentally it makes sense he's three he doesn't understand the concreteness of something is here and then it's gone and you can't have more of something that is not there so so again part of it is is understanding where they are developmentally because certain things are developmentally appropriate for children at different ages and you can kind of see those things as they go but you have to basically be able to say yourself what to yourself what is this child experiencing from their perspective what is going on from their point of view because it's easy as an adult to look at something and go, well, that's ridiculous. Oh, well, don't be silly or whatever, right? Even if you, whether you say that in your head or not or out loud, either way, looking at it from their perspective and truly understanding what it is that they are feeling really helps to be able to go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's really hard for you. Yeah, you're struggling with that a lot. Wow, okay, this is a struggle. And, and actually meaning it because, you know, there are lots of parents who want to do this kind of stuff, but they think that acknowledging emotions just means that you're basically a robot and you're, you're just saying a script. And so it is important to find key words that you use that you can use with a calm, neutral emotion um, and, and mean it and, and actually like be empathetic and then partnering that with just really coaching yourself and being able to sit with those emotions with your child and give them the space to experience that full range of emotion give them the support to know that you're there for them um, to know that you you aren't mad at them for having the feelings that you're going to be there when they're ready. It depends on your child, you know, in like <laughs> my experience, um, Emmeline is far more receptive to me talking to her through some of these emotions than Bobby is. If Bobby is having um, strong feelings about something, he wants to be left alone. And even with both of my kids, though, one thing that I have started to do more and more is to let things lie as they are without talking much during those moments and then later on in the day during a calm moment talking it out with them a little bit and exploring what happened in that situation and did you understand why I couldn't let you do that or just different uh, having that conversation so that um, they know that you respect them and that you want them to be able to experience these things and figure it out. But um, because when a child is in a heightened emotional state, like many of us, um, they're not, they can't hear you really. And trying to explain the situation and talk to them, talk them through it in the moment there's a good chance that they're not really going to take any of that in. So not to say necessarily, like, I'm a talker and I do talk my way through a lot of stuff. So sometimes I will still talk to them in the moment. Um, but I'm, I'm not expecting that they're going to take a lot of it in and really hear it. So I will go back and revisit these conversations with them. So really, a lot of it comes down to empowering our children 
to feel their feelings, work through their feelings, deal with them um, appropriately. You know, kids will will like to sometimes lash out physically. And so my kids, and like all kids, sometimes they'll try to hit me um, or each other. And so I, as respectfully as I possibly can, again, not with an angry tone or anything, I just go, I can't let you do that. I can't let you hit me. I'm not going to let you hit me. Um, and I just block them as best as I possibly can from doing that. Um, and that's the most respectful way to sort of, at least in my opinion and some other people's opinions, uh, to redirect those those uh, physical manifestations of feelings. And so then I might encourage them to hit a pillow. Um, sometimes if it's particularly volatile, I will take them into the bathroom. We have a small two-piece bathroom on our main floor. And so it's small, contained. Um, and so they, the, the one of whomever it is, usually, usually it's Emmeline, um, her and I will like sit in the bathroom and she'll have her meltdown in there. I know that she's safe. I know that I'm keeping myself safe and I'm being present with her, not judgmental, not upset with her for feeling that way. Um, just giving her a safe, uh, acceptable space to work through whatever it is that she's feeling. And then we might talk about it after and say, yeah, you were really upset about that. You wanted to do that thing and I said I couldn't let you do it and then you were really upset and I find she's very articulate and she is very open to talking about these things Bobby is still kind of young so um it's hard to get him to to articulate the same way um and I don't know if he'll if he'll be a little different in that he won't necessarily want to talk about it he tends to he seems like he tends to get more um, feel more shame, I guess, or like embarrassment about his feelings sometimes. So, you know, I'll try my best to, to reassure him that like, it's fine. He doesn't have to feel any particular way, but some people are just more sensitive to that kind of stuff naturally. So I just do the best that I can to support him. So yeah, ultimately it comes down to maintaining a certain level of respect for the small people that you are bringing up into the world and giving them the autonomy to feel how they feel, to express how they feel. Um, and I do, of course, as part of all of this as well, I do really enforce bodily autonomy. So I am that parent who, if somebody asks them for physical affection and they turn their nose up or they say no, I am very adamant about supporting them in that decision to not show physical affection. And so we might redirect a little bit in that case. Um, so say someone wants a hug and they go, no, we'll say, oh, maybe you want to give them a high five or a fist bump or just a smile or whatever. And if you're not feeling any of it, that's okay too, because they're not, we should not make children feel like they're obligated to appease you by being pleasant and warm and loving and affectionate physically because they're just not always going to feel that way. Again, this is a sense of like wholeness as a person. They're whole people. They have moods and vibes and feelings and preferences. So trying to 
you know, empower them to fully feel those things and understand themselves is important to me rather than doing, you know, and so a lot of it comes down to just like being socially correct, I guess. Um, but I don't, I don't take it as rude when they do those things. I think that that's them expressing their full, full bodily autonomy if they don't want to do it. Um, and so I try to just spin the narrative in that way when the moment arises, because people will still sometimes be offended if a child says no, um, which again, it seems ridiculous saying it out loud, but people were, were conditioned to expect that children are just going to fall in line, that they're like the, that they're more malleable than they maybe are in reality um, and more impressionable. And so in terms of just body safety and all that stuff too, um, I just ignore those cultural standards as much as possible and support my kids in whatever it is that they are feeling. So um, I'm going to end it here, but I will say that Probably in the next episode, I will go into a bit of a deeper dive on the conversation of bodily autonomy and talking to my kids about their bodies, about my body um, and, and sexuality and that kind of stuff, because I know I alluded to that uh, a little while ago. And yeah, so this is kind of my, my lead into that, because it, it, this approach to talking to my children and relating to them affects the way that I approach talking about those kinds of issues too because again it's all rooted in the respect for them as humans as whole people and um, their ability to actually understand things from their developmental level um, in a truthful and um, respectful and rooted a, a way that's rooted in respect for them so anyway that's it for today i feel like that was very short but in reality it's probably not <laughs> anyway i could talk about this stuff all day long so i i will be back to talk more about this kind of stuff anyway and if you have any questions or you have thoughts on this kind of stuff too then please as always feel free to reach out to me through my email or instagram or whatever and um yeah, I, I hope maybe I'll hear from you. And if not, then I will see you in the next one.